0: Touch them all, Joe. <laughs> Comby, the golden girl. Mary Ellen, thanks for joining us. How are you?
1: I'm good, thanks. How are you?
0: I'm well, thank you. Keeping busy. I know you're keeping busy as you were telling me about just before we got started here today.
1: Yeah, no, we haven't uh, stopped it. Uh, we took a dip for a while, but we uh, took some time to innovate and uh, redo workflows. And we were able to uh, come back in June. So we're pretty
0: grateful. So that's really, it's really great to hear for you and the team. And, and we're going to get into uh, a lot of that in our conversation today. But before we get too deep into it, for our listeners who are wondering, you know, what is Dome Productions? I'll just say that you know their work if you've ever watched a sporting event on ESPN, Bell's TSN, or Roger's Sportsnet. So it's been 30-plus years since you joined Dome. I think it was at the very beginning. So my first question is, in an industry where rock stars like you constantly get recruited for bigger challenges, how do you explain your legendary run at Dome?
1: Uh, I was actually very fortunate um, to start at the uh, ground level. I started uh, in March of 89, and we opened in uh, end of May, June. Um, The big reason I stayed is um, I lived in My career is in a um, time period of technology change. So we started with two control rooms in the um, Sky Dome at the time, the name now the Rogers Center. And uh, one control room did the Canadian broadcast, and one control room did the American broadcast for Blue Jays baseball. And then we had uh, nine CFL games. So after two years, we found that wasn't sustainable. And um, the leader, Bob Leesby challenged us with how, how do we build the business? And that's when we looked at trucks. And at the time, it was uh, standard definition. We bought two trucks, uh, old trucks, which was a little bit of a nightmare, but we ended up uh, moving forward. And um, then digital came. And so we built the uh, first digital truck in Canada. It's called Netstar, which was the company that owned uh, Dome Productions at the time. And then we went from digital transition to HD. And then that that was a whole challenge technology to move from SD to HD. And then, of course, we went from HD to 4K. So all of that stuff just kept me going. It's technology that drives me. And um, I'm always a believer that you have to control your own destiny. If you don't make change, it's going to happen and you may be on the outside of it. So I've been very lucky I'm waiting for the next change which uh the pandemic has moved even quicker <laughs> so so i've been very fortunate but i think the only the main reason i stayed was change if it didn't change i probably would have moved on and of course i'm very fortunate of the owners that we have that allowed us to do the changes
0: you know that that ability to change and and i know i know your owners very well i think just for the sake of the audience and and Let's help them understand kind of the ownership. We're not going to talk a lot about this, but so Netstar rolling the clock back. Netstar owned TSN as well at that time. Is that correct? So
1: so when um, the Dome first opened, Dome Productions, it was owned by John Labatt uh, Broadcasting. Um, Then uh, Interbrew somehow got involved and they couldn't hold the licensings for broadcast stations. So um, Gordon Craig went out and formed a consortium, which included ESPN uh, management team from TSN, RDS, Discovery, and Dome, as well as the, I think it was the Reitman family and the Brothman family. And then um, that was sold to CTV. And then in 2004, when the launch for HD was um, happening, Ted Rogers and Yvonne Fitzhann got together and decided it doesn't make sense for each of us to build trucks. So that's when Dome became a 50-50 partnership um, between CTV and Rogers. And then when Bell bought Rogers, it's now 50-50 Bell Media, Rogers Media. And um, on the Bell side, there's a... 33% 33% Bell and the rest is uh, ESPN. So I always say it's like two divorced parents who are fighting all the time, but they're good parents.
0: And we're, we're going to talk a bit about the, when you say parents, you know, who exactly those people were over time, you know, just by mentioning names like ESPN and Sportsnet and TSN and Bell. I mean, there's a lot of big names. Some of them we may have had on this podcast already or will have that, uh, you got to work very very closely with but before we get to them i still wanted to stick with you for a while here so beyond your own tenure at dome i know that many of your core team have also been by your side you know over the course of it's now five decades Uh, yeah do you have them under some kind of spell or something (laughs)
1: No, (laughs) I I would say that we have always worked as a team. There isn't a hierarchy. I don't, we're all a team there. Um, And I think I empower them to do um, what they think is right, not necessarily what I think is right. I would say that sometimes it's a little bit of a joke that I have five husbands and uh, because you get into that relationship where you argue, you go back and forth and, uh, but you make sound decisions and you move forward as a team. Um, I think um, in terms of Mike Johnson, who I think is the smartest man in television, he, I think it, what makes him stay is that challenge of change. Like I remember going in one day and telling him that we're going to put um, uplinks on tractors. And he says, well, I don't think that's going to work. And I'm like, well, figure it out. And we move forward. And it was the same with um, when Rogers wanted, Rogers and Bell went to uh, 4K He was like, well, I get a couple of years. I said, no, you probably get maybe six months to figure it out. And he loves that challenge. His challenge right now is IP. Uh, Chris Budziak, um, I've allowed him to do what he wants to do in terms of building the business. And he does. He does it very well. He has great um, client relations. Joe's my rock on the finance side, which every good leader needs um, a true uh, finance person that keeps you in line. And then we all know Burst.
0: Yes, we do. <laughs> he's
1: he's the one that uh, he, he he looks out there and like he's been on betting about two years ago and keeps me just um, introduces all these new uh, things that businesses that we should go down. We argue all the time and then we pick a, a line in the sand and then we go for it. So, again, I think I think it's because um, we are a small company and we can. Try things. We can R and D things. We can uh, maybe go down the wrong path and stop and say, "Hey, wait a minute," and go down another path. So I'm very lucky to have that team. I will say that.
0: You know, the team and the mandate that you have, and that openness for change, and and just for the audience to say, you know, I met. At- She's known as Mel in, in, in her circles. We, although her her name is Mary Ellen, obviously. I got the chance to meet Mel um, probably about ten years ago. About uh, when I was working for Rick Chisholm, or we referred to him as Chiz. He was on our very first podcast episode that we recorded. And you know, coming out of my journey with with the Olympic Consortium, and then going into TSN, it's amazing to hear you talk about you know change and the continuous uh, mandate for change within dome productions because and we're not going to talk very much about this but when i was at tsn and i was only there for actually two years but in the first year it was all about change and the second year it was all about staying the same and status quo and that's ultimately why i decided i needed a different challenge but during that time and during that cycle i knew about all the innovation that you were doing and uh, it was always exciting to me, and I'm really glad that we're getting the chance today to catch up and, uh, and keep, keep the relationship going. I wanted, uh, just for the record, really, I wanted you to try and list all of the bosses that you've had over your <laughs> 30 years uh, with Dome Productions. Uh,
1: in terms of Dome Productions, um, I really only had, well, I ended up having two bosses. One was Bob Leesby. Who's my mentor and I just like learned so many things from him and he allowed me to grow. Uh, Then I had Phil Keeling for a very very short time. He came from the post world and then my next one was um, Yvonne Fitzan asked me to run Dome and so I think at that time it was Bart Yabsley who reported into Rick Brace. I reported to a board I had nope. Nikki Moffat from CTV. I had Tony Viner at one time. I had Doug Beforth at one time, Wayne Yupman. Um, yeah, just a ton of them. <laughs> just trying to remember all of them. So uh, Bart was on the board. Um, it's now Rob Corte and um, Natalie Cook has just joined the board. Um, and we have uh, Sarah Burns and Jake Carnes, who's brand new at Rogers, so he just joined as well. I've had Mark Miller, Stu Johnson, Sean Redmond. Yeah, just a ton of them. <laughs>
0: yeah, and those are some. Those are some names. Some. Some. Some legendary. Some uh, still rising. Rising stars in the business. That's that's quite a collection of people for you to kind of report to as a board. And and what's what's terrific to hear. I mean even going back a ways there, you're, you're in, a, in a leadership role as a woman for a long time now. There's, there's women now, Natalie Cook, who's, who's part of that leadership now at TSN and RDS. And we've had previous guests on, on the Backstage Project podcast who've discussed the topic of women and leadership roles in the business of sports. Can you describe how, how your experience has been as a woman leader in the sports business?
1: Well, I would say it's been tough. I think it's easier now. Um, But as I was moving through my career, I I never saw myself as there was a bunch of men in the room and there was me. I I didn't see that. I really tried to be inclusive and be a part of the team. I think there were certain situations where you knew that there might be a certain individual that would not deal with a woman. And I just made sure that I was aware of that. And I put certain people in place, not that I agreed with it, but I also wanted to get things done. So you have to just jump into that. I always put somebody in there that highly respected me so that when they were feeling that um, this person would be ignoring me and they needed a question answered, they were like, well, go ask her. She knows. Um, when I talk with uh, women trying to move into the technological space and trying to be there, I said, always pull your chair right up. Always ask questions. Never be afraid that the question is not the right question or it feels stupid because you need to be the smartest person in that room. And when you're the smartest person in that room, people start listening. So, um, and, and don't be afraid to... If you think you've made a mistake, say, oh, I think I went down this road, but maybe I didn't and surround yourself with people that know. So I I would say the early years it was difficult, but then as I gained um, knowledge and I was able to take take a seat at the table, it it wasn't that difficult. And uh, I tell people that when you walk in my room, I don't look at you as if you're a male or if you're a female. I look at you as the person and what do you bring to the table? And I've had some good people surrounding me, good mentors. Bob Leesby really led my path and he, he would take part in um, meetings and then he would walk out and I would have to have the tough conversations, i.e. with Rick Brace. Sometimes they were tough conversations. With Keith Pelly; they were tough conversations. But Bob wouldn't let, uh, he wouldn't stand, he would stand back and let me do it. And I think that's what you have to do. But you have to know your stuff. If you don't know your stuff, you're not. It doesn't matter what uh, gender you are. If you don't know your stuff, you're not going to be a leader.
0: No, that's that's sound advice. Doesn't matter, w- male, female, what have you. You 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 got to You got to bring it to the table. You got to bring your game and your A game. From what it sounds like, now I'm not going to worry about the stage of a career that you're at. You're basically like you're, you're you're the goat. You know, you're the you're the Tom Brady of broadcast production the mobile business. So we're not going to talk about retirement. Okay. But what what I do want to get out a little bit as you get to this phase in your career and and you have had so much success and had incredible influence over the industry, which uh, for anyone who's listening, go search up the Broadcasting Hall of Fame kind of induction ceremony for Mary Ellen. Um, It's it's tremendous insight into the industry and and the power and influence she's had over these many decades. But as you get to this part of your career and what we've seen, I'm going to focus on Canada a little bit because that's where you and I both live we have seen several initiatives uh, around supporting uh, the advancement of women in sport, business sport, sport. Are are there any organizations that that you are a part of or or hope to be a part of as as you kind of pass, look to pass the torch at some point in the future to other strong female leaders?
1: Yeah. well, I will always will be a part of women in sports and wherever anybody needs my help. I'm always there. Um, I was, uh, before the pandemic happened, um, I was talking with CBC cause they really want to push women in sports and, uh, I'm like, how do I give back? So, um, b- more than happy with that. I have, um, talked at many, um, uh, like women in cable, women in communications, uh, both on this side of the border and on the youth side. And the other thing I do is I mentor. So um, I just uh, actually spent a year during the pandemic with a uh, young lady that's um, a startup company with uh, descriptive audio and just uh, helped her with strategies and um actually introducing her to certain people. I'm not there to make sure that she um, brings in a full profit, but how do, how do women start uh, understanding how to do strategies and business and look at five years out? Uh, with my own team, I'm, um, the technical part is the easy part. Um, definitely, I have engineers where I can um, put them in charge to to mentor the young, I call them the young kids or the Game Boy kids, um, to learn about the technology and stuff, but I find it's my role to, how do I keep dome productions going? And so the next group of people, female, male, um, I'm sort of saying, how do you can strategically keep this going? How do you keep that legacy business going, but understand change? So um, not only the women in sport, it's also taking the next generation and allowing them to lead. So... Well. Uh, if I retired tomorrow, I would love to sit on or volunteer for um, the hockey, uh, women's softball, anything women's sports. I would love to uh, help out with.
0: No, thanks for sharing that with us. I wasn't aware of the depths of your involvement, of course, because you're not updating, you know, LinkedIn or Twitter all the time talking <laughs> about it. It's more of a personal journey and passion for you. And thank you for sharing it with us here. Now, you, you've, you've been really good about this for. I guess the 15 or so minutes we've been chatting, we haven't really talked about technology, but now now I'm going to open it up because I know in your heart that that that, that's what that's what drives you. So dome productions is known for innovation, you know, 4k Remy, uh, obviously HD years and years ago, you've continually made and won some really big bets and I'd like you to try and help us understand how does that happen over decades?
1: Well, um, we call it throwing darts. You got to throw the dart, and uh, sometimes it doesn't work. But you have to try it. You have to take that risk reward. Um, a lot of times, getting an innovation and is research is really which doesn't cost a lot of money. It just costs time. So, what do you think the trends are? What What's the um, the demographics of this side of it? How do you bring that to the media and my question is, is the media is going to change. So how are you going to change with the media? So I dedicate um, mainly Fridays for 100% research. And then what you do is you take like five or six um, ideas and you throw them out to the staff. And when I'm saying the staff, I'm looking at my leaders, my senior management team. And then you take a reading of, are these guys nuts? Like, is this one that's going to pass through? And then you go to the next generation. And it's amazing the differences between um, the two generations. I know we went into the digital world and second screen, which we did for Canada Sings by me sitting with um, two relatively new employees. And I just basically put two pictures of beer down and said, I'm thinking about this. I bought a Max, I like this Twitter thing. I like this Facebook thing, what do you think? And I found uh, the individual who was um, mostly on all that social media and I put him in charge of the digital side. I would say I knew the digital side would go away from Dome because it didn't make sense for Dome to do everybody's Facebook page and Twitter page and second screen. But we have to understand that side of the business in order to help our um, partners and our clients grow. So that's how I look at it. Right now, I would say um, we're looking at A.I., Um, I took a course in AI just to understand it. When I started the course, I was like, I'm just going to do a AI camera. And, but that was the easy part. What they showed me and what, how my business can change with AI was amazing. So again, it's time and research. Augmented reality is one I think um, is going to be forward. So how do I get my people involved in augmented reality and 5G? So we see that, we started those a year ago, but we don't see the broadcasters catching up for maybe two years. And so we just have to be smarter than them so that we can offer those um, as services. And I don't mean it that um, they're not smart, they're, they're researching all this, they're um, way ahead of me on some of that stuff, but how do we integrate it into their broadcasts so that they're not going to somebody else? Does that sort of answer your question?
0: Yeah, no, that definitely does. I want to I want to ask some follow up questions about what you said. There's there's a lot there, so uh, I'm 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 probably just going to pick one because you're you're owned by effectively two telcos, majority owned anyway, and 5G is of course very important to their future. I just like your perspective on what 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 does 5G mean for dome productions, and and then what services you you may provide. Uh, to your, to your customers?
1: Yeah, so so 5G for me, and and I have to be honest, I haven't done all my research on it, but 5G to me is just another way of transmitting. So right now we were on satellite, then we went to fiber, and now we're on internet and DeGiro. So 5G is just another way of transmission. But the thing that 5G brings to the table that the others don't is it's low latency. And I believe with low latency, you can get augmented reality into your show or on your smartphone a lot quicker, that second screen can be almost the same as a broadcast. I think betting is going to be huge with 5G. And then for a cost effective um, on 5G, I look at it as can I be in a stadium, dice and splice the spectrum on the 5G. And then that way I can do RF cameras now. So I can have cameras on helmets or I can have RF um, camera that currently is the walking around camera in the stands. And now I can just click into the 5G of the building and go that way. So those are the things that I see. Who knows, I might be totally wrong, but those are the three darts we threw and we're gonna test it now and then work with our our partners. So the nice thing of having um, telecom partners is to say, hey, can I have a slice of this 5G? But keep in mind, they have their own um, initiatives and I may disrupt them and I may say, be told, you know what, we're handling this side of it. But then I look at, I have a whole third party business, which aren't my owners that I say, can I use your wealth of information to bring to them?
0: That's a great answer. And, and I've seen, I've seen some examples and, and they're more kind of like proof of concept of, uh, from from Europe about the immersive experience you can have on five G with the broadcast and like we're talking about when your ownership group are are, are mobile carriers um, yeah you know, and and you've already talked about it previously um, uh, not on this podcast yet but you you've talked about you know the rush to have the first four uh, K broadcast in North America and the lead time that you had to do that so when it comes to rising to the, the challenge uh, that's something you you appear to continue to meet throughout your career. Uh, as we're kind of recording the podcast, and I don't want to date it too much, you know, there, there's some accelerated change happening in I'll call it the broadcast and distribution landscape. So most of this is happening. Uh, this is way downstream from where Dome Productions operates <laughs> today, but we are seeing you know NBC with uh, the launch of Peacock, and and we're just hearing about you know the closure of NBC Sports Network, and I think just today we heard that like WWE is doing a deal with Peacock to stream on there. So I'm not expecting you to have all the answers of all of these things. But what I would like to discuss is from your purview as being basically the supplier of the broadcast um, to so many networks uh, that really go around the globe, even though you might be broadcasting it in Canada, the US from your truck, those signals go everywhere. How do you see the change in distribution Affecting your business. Is this something that you discuss with your management team as you look at opportunities, or is this just another, you know, opportunity for you to grow and innovate the business?
1: So again, we saw a streaming happening a while ago when digital hit. We like, I'm a huge fan of Crave TV, and I remember when Crave um, wasn't even started yet, and Netflix and being part of that. Netflix is going to come in, and I'm like doesn't matter how it's distributed, people still want content. So to me, we're actually in a good situation because we're facilitators. So if um, people want content, they need facilities to um, produce content. If people want to start their own streaming service, they need facilities to set that up. So at one point in time, we were talking about instead of master controls, we were talking about streaming master controls. And how do you put ads into streaming that and that was a long time ago. Now there's a way to put them in and stuff like that. So um, the only thing that I see changing on a facility side is it's going to be different. It's going to be lower budgets. And we have to consolidate how we can do things together. So that's what I see, but I still see that they need facilities and they need somehow to get to that, whether it's an app, whether it's um, five TV, whether it's Roger servers, they still need to figure out how to get to that. And then how do you monetize that? So how do you put those um, ads in and stuff like that? I just, uh, just was looking at it and I think it's called uh trans live transmit and it's about taking uh, commercials and putting them on uh, streaming things, but it's, it's the picture in picture, which we've known about for years, but it's, it's just a changing world because now we're in streaming and how you're going to put in ads. So I'm not worried about it. It's understanding the business, how they're going to do it, understanding the budgets Like the the fact that NBC has shut down and it's um, the Comcast, like there's, to me, that's a sign of maybe no regional TV. So are we going to do one hockey game and put it on all, just one NBC? So those are the things. How do you do that? And I believe you still need cameras, still need uh, EVSs. It's just, am I going to be sitting in Toronto and the game's going to be in I don't know, New York, and they're going to need one EVS person, and I'm going to have ones. It's just totally different, but they still need facilities to do production.
0: Yeah, and talking about facilities to do production, and considering this COVID and the pandemic we're going through, um, have has Dome Production missed a beat in terms of being able to deliver the broadcast that... Um, that your clients expect, even though there's various rules that we've had here, you know, in Ontario or Toronto that you've had to uh, abide by?
1: I would say the biggest um, uh, thing, well, in terms of the COVID, we were, we jumped on the cleanliness right away. And I started, um, because I'm part of SVG, uh, they were doing clean clean freaks in the U.S. on how to come back. I was able to launch Clean Freaks Canada and got all the broadcasters together and we set up protocols. So that to me was um, necessary for us to come back. Um, In terms of the innovation, uh, the engineering team that I have has been phenomenal and they've been working day and night. So I have to figure out how I get more engineers involved. But um, March 13th, um, there was a COVID case at the CBS studios and um, we had to shut down NBA 2K. Within six weeks, the engineering team with um, our clients figured out how to keep NBA 2K, 2K up, and we had one of the best seasons ever. So we had uh, teams in their own house, we had our client producer director in Vancouver, we had the MBA client in New York, we had the casters in their own home, and we had the control room at Dome Productions. And we figured out that latency. And it was the first time that um, NBA 2K went on linear television to Rogers Sportsnet and ESPN. So we pivoted great on that. So that was fantastic. Um, Then we came back with the, um, the bubble model with the NBA and how do we bring all those feeds back into venues where COVID wasn't allowing them to come in. My team pivoted again and we built a broadcast compound out in our warehouse backyard where we can control. And I called that a Remy on steroids, but we brought the NBA back to return to play. And um, in terms of the hockey coming back, I just kept on the NHL. Like, we can do this. We're like, whether it's in the United States bubble or whether it's in a Canadian bubble, we're prepared to do it. And that went without a flaw in um, technically. Lots of issues with uh, the bubble, and uh, those are things that we're going to have to deal with going forward. And now, how we're doing hockey has been a challenge, and it's an engineering challenge. But I just say, figure it out, and they have. Um, A lot of it is a partnership with the um, Bell Media Engineering team and the Rogers team as well. So it's going well. I think there's a couple of uh, blips in terms of latency, but you know what? Every game's getting better.
0: Well, you know, you've been doing this for over the span of, of, five decades. We haven't even talked about Olympics where you basically, you know, through Bell and Rogers at the time, they produced the whole 2012 London Olympics from Toronto. Uh, very few, very few feeds, uh, uh unilaterals anyway, over there in London, which obviously that's where you and I, you and I first met, it's been, it's been great chatting today mel there's there's a few questions that, that we ask every guest that uh, that joins us on the backstage project podcast and uh, i'm going to hit you up with those uh with those now okay so if you had to pick one moment in your career uh, that was the most memorable uh, which would it be
1: it's, it's tough. Um, I have two moments. Um, one is the 1988 Calgary Olympics, because it was my first Olympics, and I was just so thrilled to be there. But the most rewarding absolutely was 2010, to um, put curling, hockey, um, both women's and men's, and the figure skating on, plus support Bell Media. That, that was phenomenal. I just love the Olympics. Yeah,
0: as do I. And that '88. I mean, that '88 reference. Um, w- we know that you know people who have uh, who've already been on the podcast and people we obviously know whether that was Keith or Rick. I mean, '88 was something that not all of them got a got a chance to be a part of, and uh, they didn't make that mistake twice uh, when it came yeah. time to do 2010.
1: Yeah, no, I was uh, very fortunate um, because of my uh, versatility. I could do camera, I could do prompter, I could schedule, I could do whatever they needed. Um, Rick Brace allowed me to go. He was executive producer at the time and he goes, I believe in her, we're going to take her. Worked 20 hour days, but it was it was worth it. And I met so many people and I'll never forget meeting one guy from Australia who explained to me how international satellites worked and boom, I was in the satellite business. Like I, I said to TSN, I can do your satellites. So it was, it was a great time. And 2010 just brought it all together.
0: Well, looking at that, those opportunities to to be that sponge and then take that, that knowledge and, and spin that into something great or something with uh, that you can scale. Um that's, that's the you know, sign of a, an incredible leader. Um, as you think to the, the newer generation, your younger staff or people that are, are looking to come into the production business, you already said you're looking for engineers. You know, what advice do you have for people that want to get into this space?
1: Um, I would say, number one, learn. Whatever you can do, learn every day. And if, if you're not learning every day, find something to learn. And number two, change adapt to it It, it, the one thing that's known taxes of course and death but so is change like and and embrace that change and even suggest change so those are the two things know your stuff and adapt to change or even bring change on
0: something that i i already knew about you and that got reinforced through preparing for our chat today you know you're and these are words from other industries but i'll but i'll apply them to what you do you know you're you're a, you're a humble servant leader, and and I've seen it play out through our relationship and through the people that I know that that work for you. Uh, and listening to you speak today, you know, and any one of our listeners could think, "Wow, has she been this way for her whole career?" So so I wanted to try and unpack that just a little bit here, and to ask you when you look back at the beginning of your career and you kind of compare it to the way that you think and approach your what you do every day now. It, what has been the biggest change? If it's possible for you to think back that far in a, in a, in a split second and and help us uh, with an answer here.
1: Wow, when I first started, I, I was willing to do anything. Um, I think I still am willing to do anything that needs to get the job done. Um, I would I would say from where I was then to where I am now, I'm not afraid to speak up. I would say in my early years, I knew something was going wrong, but I wouldn't be the one to speak up and say it. Um, And now I encourage people, um, any of my staff, if you think I'm going down the wrong road, please tell me, because I'm not the smartest person in the room anymore. I'm expecting you guys to be the smartest people. So I would say that was a big change, confidence. Of course, when you start in your career, you don't have that confidence. I'm pretty confident now, maybe a little cocky sometimes, which uh, I don't know if that's good or bad.
0: Oh, well, you come by it honestly.
1: <laughs> so um, I would say, yeah, that's the biggest thing. Um, I didn't have the confidence um, where I, when I started. And I wish on some things I may have spoke up a little more. And now... I just look at it like I'm going to tell somebody, I don't think you should go down this road because of this, this, and this, and then let them choose where before I would have just kept my mouth shut.
0: This has been incredibly valuable for people to hear if they made it through. Luckily, I mean, we're not two hours in. We did this in 30 minutes or so, which is a great jam-packed experience for our listeners. And I really thank you for doing this and joining us.
1: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: The Backstage Project Podcast is brought to you by Ready, Set, Go. They help organizations create extraordinary digital
1: products. To learn more, go to readysetgo.design. If you would like to get in touch with Mark and the team at the Backstage Project Podcast, please email us at info at